Welcome to Scrubs Unzipped, unveiling healthcare's hidden passions. The podcast where we pull back the curtain of healthcare to reveal the extraordinary stories, passions, and struggles of our healthcare heroes. But we're not stopping there. In each episode, we'll introduce you to doctors, nurses, therapists, and more who don't just wear scrubs. They have lives, dreams, and a burning desire to make a difference. And your host, a dedicated respiratory therapist, leads the way. So get ready to be inspired, informed, and uplifted as we celebrate the unsung heroes of healthcare, the passions that drive them, and explore ways to reshape the future of healthcare. Welcome to Scrubs Unzipped. All right. Hello, everyone. I am Anne-Marie, your host on Scrubs Unzipped, Unveiling Healthcare's Hidden Passions. And today, I have a very special guest, someone who I've known for years, and we graduated together. So can you introduce yourself, David? I am David Chula. And um, I'm a respiratory therapist and went to school with Anna Marie. <laughs> so we go way back when we went to school, respiratory school. Can you share some of your favorite memories from our school days and how they influenced your journey in respiratory therapy? Um, the uh, conferences were really good. I remember going to... Uh, mm. Funny story. So we were at a conference, and uh, it was all the vendors were there. You know, mass vendors, uh, doctors, respiratory therapists. You get a lot of contacts. And towards the end, they had a, uh, um, what you call it, a uh, a party. So uh, they had this big uh, picture of what I thought was lemonade. You know, <laughs> so I had. I had one drink. I'm like, this is pretty good. It was real, was real sweet. It was delicious. So I had another one, and then I had another one. Oh then I had God. another one. Then I had another oh one. Oh, my goodness. Of course, I had another one. Oh and I was God. feeling kind of good. Like, this is really some good lemonade. And before you know it, I'm like, hey, what's up? I didn't realize it was alcohol. I was like, oops. Uh, so I kind of, I stopped because I don't, I don't, I don't get drunk, you know, so, uh, that's kind of a funny, funny um, story, but <clears throat> I think um, just the industry itself, just really wanting to make a difference in people's lives. Yeah, I definitely remember that party, and some of the people that we knew, <laughs> they definitely got loose. <laughs> they were all yeah. drinking the lemonade that was not really lemonade. <laughs> So I want to ask you, how have you been doing since um, we last graduated? Like, what have you been up to? Um, oh, by the way, it's still echoing really bad. You might get that on. You may want to turn down a little bit more. Um, anyways, uh, well, I started working at in Lake City when I came out of... Um, college that was at my first job at hca hospital in lake city so i was there for six months and i went from there to north florida regional medical center 
So from there, I was there for six years. And I went to home care for a year. I did that for a while. Uh, that didn't work out as best as I thought it would. Um, really challenging. The company I was working for it wasn't a bad company. It just um, home care doesn't. I mean, it's just really hard to get the support you need from um, the. Uh, we don't have a union, so it's it just it just pay isn't really where it needs to be. And I, I needed to pay bills, um, so I left there and I went to uh, the VA, and I was there for uh, about five years, going on six years. Well, I unfortunately had to retire due to some medical issues. Uh, sorry to hear that. So, as a retired respiratory therapist, you've been on the front lines of patient care. How did this experience prepare you, if at all, for your own diagnosis? Well, um, I think being in the healthcare field has actually saved my life because it taught me to push no matter what because the patient knows his body or her body they know their body and they know what's going on in their body regardless of the education that you have and I kept telling doctors for two years there's something going on and they kept saying no there's nothing there because I had a I have a I had but eventually long story short I had a gist tumor which is a gastrointestinal stromal tumor and um, I felt it in the middle of my chest. When I would walk, I felt it going back and forth. I was having black, tarry stools, uh, on and off diarrhea, constipation, back and forth. I couldn't, I couldn't eat. Uh, I wasn't having an appetite. And the doctors kept saying, you can't feel that. There's no nerves there. There's pain nerves. You can't feel that. I'm like, there's something there. Um, so they ran a test, and they didn't find anything. Um, they ran some blood tests. They didn't find anything. But I, I kept saying, man, there's something there. There's something there. There's something there. And I, one of the tests, I was laying on the uh, table to get ready for a colonoscopy. Um, and uh, endoscopy. And the doctor put me to sleep as I'm talking to him. And when he woke me up, I'm like, did you find the tumor? He goes, no, there's nothing there. You're just going to have to live with it. And I'm like, no, that's garbage. I know there's something there. Well, long story short, he went down with the tube but he didn't use a longer tube. This apparently there's two different tubes, so that tube only went right here. It's not going all the way down, and he mm-hmm. missed it by centimeters. He missed it. Mm. The way they found it was my my digestive doctor did an um an EDG, which I don't remember what it stands for, but it's kind of like a CT. But you drink a bunch of dye. They give you a contrast. And then um, you're in, a, in the CT, you got to breathe in, hold your breath, and then breathe out. Breathe in, hold your breath, and breathe out. This happens for a half hour, and then they found it. Wow. By the time they found it, it was already stage four. Wow. And I've been telling it for two years that there's something there. So they went in, they did a biopsy, which was the biggest mistake, because they went in and did a biopsy, it bled, and it bled, mm. and it bled. And on September 22nd, I was rushed to the hospital, almost died. They had to give me four units of blood, three units prior, one unit after, because I was, I was so, my blood level was so low. It was like, he told me, he said, if you don't get blood right now, you're going to have a heart attack. You won't live through the night. Mm -hmm. Um, So patient knows what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And 
even having a medical background, you have experience so that you can advocate for yourself when you are sick. So I think that really, really helped you. So what have been, so I would say that, is that one of the toughest experience you've faced, like almost dying? Well, yeah, but I think it was tougher. You still meet people that just don't listen. I, I'll give you another example. Mm-hmm. I admitted to the hospital again for complications with the cancer, and I was laying in bed, and I had they put me in a liquid diet, mm-hmm. and they gave me some Ensure, and they gave me some soup, and they gave me uh, a popsicle, and you know, this blah, blah, blah. So I ate everything. So one of the techs come in, they do a blood sugar, and I said to her, don't do a blood sugar. A blood sugar is going to be high because they just ate. That's mm-hmm. normal for anybody. Anybody who eats, your blood sugar is going to go up for a bit. A normal person who doesn't have diabetes within a, sometime within 15, 20 minutes will come right back down again, be normal, you're fine. Mm-hmm. So I told her, I said, don't do it. No, no, we got to test it because it's scheduled. I said, okay, fine. Go ahead and test it. They did. And of course, my blood sugar was 175. And she panicked. I go, don't worry about it. It'll be, it'll go down in, a, in about 20 minutes, come back and get it tested. Well, the nurse comes in with a big old bag of insulin. I said, what is that? She goes, that's insulin. I said, why are you giving me insulin? I don't have diabetes. I'm not taking that. Well, the doctor said, you know, your blood sugar is how are you going to take I said, you're not giving me that, and I'm not taking it. Give me, mm-hmm. test my blood sugar again. It's going to be normal. I told you. I just ate, and you tested my blood sugar. I asked you not to do that, and you did anyways. Mm-hmm. So what did they do? They tested my blood sugar. What was it? 80, which is normal. Yeah. She would have given me that insulin. I wouldn't be sitting here today talking to you. Wow, and but it, it, and and there's so many stories like that I have that people just don't listen or they don't critically think. They just do what they're told. Especially yeah. new nurses, they just go and do what they're told instead of saying, "Wait a minute, time out." I've had situations mm-hmm. as a respiratory therapist where doctor orders ABC medicine. And I listen to his lungs, and I go back to the doctor. I say, "You ordered this medicine; it's going to cause even more wheezing than he has now. He doesn't need this. Do this instead." And the doctor's like, "Okay, no problem." But it, but no, people don't do that no more. They just go, "Oh, this is the medicine. Let me go ahead and do it. I got a whole list of patients." And then you go ahead and give the medicine that's not even good for the patient, yeah. or it might kill the person. In that case, mm-hmm. with the insulin, that would have been a centennial event. Yeah. I wouldn't be here today if that was the case. Or I would have been in trouble. I would have, you know, when it went to a diabetic coma for a bit. And, you know, it just wouldn't have, wouldn't have been well. You got to listen to your patient. You got to critically yeah. think, man. You got to mm-hmm. critically think. You listen to this and you're new and again in the healthcare field. It's okay to question your doctor, not arrogantly, but critically think. If you believe that's best for your patient, I, I've seen doctors do stuff. I just like I had so many stories. I, I seen a doctor because the person had atelectasis, held the patient down and was anvil bagging him to open his oh, lungs. Wow. And I'm like, wow. what are you doing? Just give him CPAP. But nope, he said up. He's and he's sitting there ba- anvil bagging him for like 10 or 15 minutes while he's as conscious as I am. Wow. I, I'm like, are you are you serious? But this kind of mm. stuff happens. 
you got, and it's okay to say, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not risking my license to do that. I'm sorry. Find somebody else to do that. I'm not doing it. And if you get fired for it, then listen, there's always another job out there. When you, when you lose your license, you'll never get a job again. You may lose that job, but you go to another job and you'll have a job. You lose mm-hmm. your license, you'll never get a job. You'll be working at Walmart as a greeter. Yeah. Yeah, that's real talk right there. That's definitely real talk because sometimes <clears throat> people are like, yes, yes, man, and yes, people. Like, do whatever you say. I'll do whatever you say. But you really need to critically think and you really need to because your life, their life is in your hands. And we're all the team. And sometimes, like, some part of the team will miss things. And it's up to you to catch things. So that is a very good story, and it seems like despite the challenges, you have exuded a resilience and positive spirit. Are there any specific moments or stories with your family that have uplifted you? Um, you know, <laughs> family dynamics have been weird, weird right now because my daughter's a teen, and she's not feeling <laughs> her dad right now, like she. <laughs> Her dad, dad's not cool, you know. So, um, you know, it's uh, we had a chance to go on different vacations. Like, you know, we went to um, California for a wedding. Um, I was sick the whole time I was there, of course. Uh, we went to uh, Tacoma for to see my dad. I was sick part of the time that I was there. Um, we're getting ready to go to Pennsylvania, hopefully soon. Um, you know, I'm on and off sick, so it's it's been real challenging. Um, I think that what's really challenging for me is not being able to work. Because um, mm. I sometimes, like, I've been sick for three days. I mm. ate something. I ate something called Beyond Burger, which they probably call it Beyond Burger because it is beyond whatever you would eat, and I would never eat it again. Um, it's disgusting. If you're a vegetarian, just make yourself a salad. Seriously, don't don't go and get a fake burger. You want a burger, just eat a burger. I mean, just I ate it. I got sick for three days. I mean, finally, oh, wow. I just I've been sick for three days. I just today finally feeling better. <coughs> but um, where was I going with this? Um, You're spending time with family and going yeah. and traveling. Yeah, so tra- spend time with family, traveling. That's what we're doing now. Um, I, I'm I'm now soccer mom. So I took my daughter everywhere. So even if I wanted to work, or if I could work, I, I, I'm just with, like, I got to go get her in a couple hours. Um, and then uh, I got to take her to swim practice and then take her to work. And so it, it's like it kind of eats my day. Um, I would like to get back to some type of work again if I could. But I, every day I wake up and it's, it's a, it's a crapshoot. That's that. I'm, mm. I'm basically useless to an employee, employee, employer right now. I, I can't stand on my feet like I used to and run. And I, I can't do. I can't do CPR because I know how to do CPR, but physically I can't. I can't do it. I, I, mm. I, I would kill a person. I, I, I won't be able to withstand the amount of time. I mean, I just can't. I would like to, but I just I can't. Mm. It's like a crippled person trying to run a marathon. He wants to. You can want to all you want. But I just can't. Mm. Okay. Well, let's lighten things up a bit. 
if we were to throw a reunion with our school um, graduates who we graduated with and you are in charge of the playlist, which three songs would you absolutely insist be played and why? Uh, let me see. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I'm old school, so I, I would probably choose a bunch of songs that no one would know about, like stuff from the old school days, like some Chub Rock and Okay. Fresh, Fresh, Fresh Prince and like, Okay. Uh, you know, things like that. Um uh, I, I think that I don't know, nothing really comes comes to my mind. I had one I was thinking about when I read the question earlier, and I it slips my mind now. But <laughs> I, I guess our, my uh, high school my high school uh, song was "Never Surrender" by Corey Hart. So I oh, think that okay. was a song. But then again, you know who that is? I definitely don't. No, you don't. See, that's what I'm saying. So I'm, I'm old. I'm completely old school. I don't like. I don't like very little music from from today. I think some of it is okay, but I'm like 70s, 80s, 90s, a little bit from the 2000s, but mainly 70s and 80s, man. You know, so. I'll go look him up later. I'll go look him up. Look, I never surrender. He's the same guy that says, "I wear my sunglasses at night." You know what I'm talking about? No. Uh, maybe, maybe. You probably weren't even born when that song came out. You even, your mom and dad weren't know. even married yet at the time that song came out. That's like 40 years ago. That song is about probably about 40 years old. Oh wow! Yeah, that's definitely older than me. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so I don't want to keep you too long. So I want to say. Uh, ask you like your journey has been incredible and inspiring to so many for our listeners particularly those in healthcare what's one message of hope or resilience you'd want to leave them with it's all about the patient remember why you got into the healthcare field you didn't get into it because it's a glorified job, it's not. You're gonna have days it sucks. I mean, it just sucks. Let me just be able to tell you, it just sucks. You hate it. You know, I've had stuff thrown at me. I've had been cursed at. I've, you know, I've, I've had people lie. I have patients lie about me. Say I did stuff, and thank God I had a good boss who knew my character and knew it was a lie. And then the husband came back later and talked to my boss and said, "Hey, my wife has dementia. She didn't know what she was talking about. He didn't do that." I, I, I mean. You, it's all about the patient, man. Remember that. Cause, and also remember that you never know what's going to happen in your future, whereas you're going to be on the opposite side of the bed. And you don't want that compassionate nurse. I've had uncompassionate nurses that absolutely were terrible. I've never had nurses that were absolutely wonderful. I've had respiratory therapists that were absolutely wonderful. I had that respiratory therapists that were absolutely terrible. Just because you're book smart doesn't make you a compassionate person. You know? Yeah, you need to have the smarts. I mean, that's important. Um, but I, I, people need compassion. At the end of the day, people need compassion. You've got to remember that. And if that person is yelling and screaming, he's sick or she's sick, they don't really want to be there. Sometimes they're against their will because their families <clears throat> making them go. And, and, but they don't want to be there. They want rather be out uh, fishing on the dock 
You know, they they don't want that. So they yell at you, you can't take a personal. And it's not right. I'm not saying it's right for them to do that. It's not. But just remember that, put in perspective, how would you feel you knew you were dying and you were 50? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely, um, it hits close to home because me, I do have experience of being the patient myself. And sometimes when your rights are taken away from you and you're just like helpless and you have to depend on other people, it's very different. It's very different and very eye-opening. It's very humbling because um, most of the time when we are, well, we can do whatever we want, whenever we want, but when you're a patient, you can't. So I think that is very important to be show compassion and and be compassionate and show empathy wherever you are. So thank you so much, Dave, for um, being a part of Scrubs Unzipped, where we share stories behind the scrubs. And I hope you have a great one. Um, Thank you for joining us on this episode of Scrubs Unzipped. We hope you've been inspired by the incredible journeys and passions of our healthcare heroes. If you've enjoyed our show, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing it with your friends and colleagues. Your support means the world to us. Stay tuned for more enlightening conversations that go beyond the scrubs and help us improve healthcare for everyone. Until next time, keep unzipping the extraordinary stories around you. This is Anne Marie, your dedicated respiratory therapist and host, signing off.